Today we're back in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. So if you'd like to follow along, please turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And we're only going to do the first seven verses of Luke 2 this week. Next week we'll continue in Luke, looking at verses 8 through verse 20. And then the final Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, we'll be back in Matthew looking at the visit of the Magi um, to Christ. I just want you to follow along as I read these seven verses from the Gospel of Luke. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the empire for taxes. This was the first registration taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David. He went to be registered with Mary, who was promised in marriage to him and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Each one of these snapshots of the Christmas story sort of gives us different insights into different aspects of God and and the ways that God works. And this passage is no different today. It is my hope and prayer that as we leave this passage today and we continue to meditate on it and think on it, that we will gain a lot of insight into God's will and God's ways. Because we see that throughout these seven verses. We are given, in a sense, insight into God's will and God's ways. And hopefully what it will do for us is is encourage us and inspire us and motivate us to be part of God's will and God's ways for our life rather than insisting on things being our way. Because what we learn, even in this Christmas story that's so familiar to us, is this. That if we want to make sure that we don't miss what God has prepared for us, then we've got to do it God's way. We've got to be willing to follow God's will and God's way rather than insisting on it being our way and our plan. And we know from the word of God that God's ways and God's plans are different from ours. I mean, the prophet Isaiah echoes what God had said to him. When God came to the prophet Isaiah and said, you tell my people that my plans are not like your plans and that my ways are not like your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much higher my ways are than your ways and my plans are than your plans. So we already know that God is telling us, look, I'm going to do things differently than the way you would do them. I'm going to work in a way that you would not choose, but it's my choosing. 
And if you and I want to be part of God's will for our lives and, and we want to truly know God's ways, then we understand that there's going to be many times in our life, even as a Christian, but we're still human, where we're going to go, God, that's not the way I would have done it. That's not how I would have chosen. That, that's not the plan that I would have come up with. But just like Joseph and Mary, God, if that's your plan, if that's your will, if that's your way, then I'm in. I'll say yes, even though I don't understand it. That's one of the basics of being a follower of Jesus Christ is learning to follow a God that we won't always understand. It's learning and growing to a point where we trust in God. But we don't always understand why he does what he does or works the way that he does. And this is so evident here in the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. First, I want us to notice about God's will, the extent that God will go to to accomplish his will and to fulfill his will and to make sure that everything that he promised is carried out to the exact detail that he promised it would. We get that from the very first verse where notice it says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the Roman Empire for taxes. And one of the things we learn here too by Luke including Caesar and Quirinius, the governor of Syria, is we also learn that God, even though he is outside of time, always works within time for our benefit. And that Everything that he does is rooted in history. It doesn't happen outside of history. It happens within history and within our own existence in history. Now, we do understand as Christians, as we learn the Bible and grow even in understanding history, that history really is his story that he is writing. And so we have here, by him using these names of, of the leaders of the world at that time, he's giving us, in a sense, historical markers to say, look, God didn't do this in some, you know, uh, weird, nebulous place out there in the universe where, you know, we don't have any record of anything or whatever, some other dimension. No, God did this right in Palestine through the Roman Empire and here's what was happening. And note this also. Caesar Augustus was the most powerful man on the planet from a human perspective at this time. Roman Empire was ruling the world. And Caesar Augustus was the ruler of the Roman Empire. By the way, the word Augustus means the venerated one. And so he was there. And as he thought, here's what I'm going to do. And, and honestly, if you study Caesar, he was actually, for the most part, a, a very good ruler of the Roman Empire. There's a lot of positive things that he did in the Roman Empire. He was not one of these sort of ruthless, crass rulers that sometimes exists throughout human history. But at the same time, he said, we need to get a handle on our empire and all the people that we are ruling. And, and we need to start collecting taxes on their property and on their income. So I got a plan. 
I'm going to institute that all the Roman Empire has to go back to their native city where their ancestral line comes from so that we can make sure that we get down all the particulars of, again, the property that they own and the income that they have and all that so that we can tax them. Now, Caesar Augustus obviously thought, I did this. I'm the ruler of the world. I'm the one who rules. I'm in control. But what we learn from this is even the great Caesar Augustus, the great ruler of the Roman Empire, he wasn't in control. He wasn't ruling. He wasn't making this happen. God, the one who always rules and who's always in control, was using the most powerful man on the planet Earth at that time to accomplish his will. I hope that we can take some encouragement and comfort in that. You know, no matter what time of history you live in, you know, we've all got to remember that ultimately it's not the prime ministers and presidents and kings and all of that that are really in control and ruling. It's God. And the Bible teaches us that even the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And if God wants to turn it, to use it, to accomplish his will, he will do it. He's in control. And that's what we learn here in the birth of Christ. God had a plan. And if he had to use the most powerful man on the planet to accomplish his plan, he would do so. Let Caesar think that it was his idea to tax the Roman Empire. That's fine. Let everyone in the Roman Empire think this was Caesar's doing. No, it was God's doing. Because God was going to make sure that Joseph and Mary got down to Bethlehem in Ephrata. Because that's where he promised the Messiah would be born. And if he had to turn the Roman Empire upside down, if he had to cause every human being within the uh, parameters and boundaries of that empire to be on the move to accomplish his will, he would do it. I hope again that encourages you. God will move heaven and earth to accomplish what he said he would do. There is no one on earth, there is nothing on earth that can prevent God's will from happening. If God says in his word, this is what's going to happen, then he will move heaven and earth to make it happen. And to see that it's so, including you using the great rulers of this earth to accomplish his will. That's what we see in the birth of Christ. That gives us insight into the will and ways of God. And we notice here in verse 2. Luke informs us this was the first registration or enrollment. In other words, there was another one going to come 10 years later. But the reason why he mentions this is the first time this happened, there really weren't any problems and everybody sort of surrendered to it and did what the Roman Empire wanted and all of that and there weren't any issues. 
The second time this comes around 10 years later, there is a revolt within the Roman Empire that just causes all kinds of upheaval and all kinds of problems. But Luke obviously wants us to know that during this time, at the birth of Christ, this was actually a very peaceful movement, but just a massive movement through the entire Roman Empire of people just moving all over the place. In a sense, when you think about it, though... Obviously, we've taken it way too far as far as commercialization of our Christmas holiday and the celebration of the birth of Christ, that the events surrounding the birth of Christ, the very first Christmas, is not too far off from what our world experiences around Christmas time this, this day and age. You've got all this movement of all these masses of people going to and fro and all of that. Think about that. If you put yourself in the first Christmas story, that's exactly what would have been happening. Most people wouldn't have been sitting still during the Christmas season, if you will, the days leading up to the very first birth of Christ. They would have been moving and going somewhere and traveling all over the Roman Empire, just like Joseph and Mary. And so the Bible says in verse 3, everyone, each and every one, went to his own town, his native city, where his ancestral line had been from, to be registered. The word registered means to have one's name inscribed on the Roman tax record. Everyone's name was going to be inscribed there that lived under the Roman Empire. Again, so the Roman Empire could tax them properly. As I thought about this, I thought, you know what? The Bible teaches us that, again, should encourage us, is yes, we are as human beings, citizens of somewhere on earth. But the Bible also teaches us as children of God, we are also citizens of heaven. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And it's from there that we look and await a Savior that is to come. At this time in history, some Jewish folks and others were looking for the first coming of Jesus, the Messiah, into the world. Now we are looking for the second coming of Jesus into the world. Because our citizenship is not here on earth as much as it is in heaven. And when you think about our names being engraved or inscribed somewhere, I love what Jesus said to his disciples. When after he had sent out this group of disciples and they come back all excited and like, Jesus, as if Jesus didn't know what really happened. But you know, Jesus humors them every once in a while. They're like, Jesus, do you know what happened to us? Man, when we went out, that power and authority that you gave us, we saw it in action. Man, we were able to heal people in your name and we were able to do this and that and we saw this miraculous power flowing through us and man, it just, it just got us all stoked and excited. Um, you know, I'm throwing in some of my own wording there. And Jesus was like, guys, that, that's awesome. You know, that, that's great. But if you want to really rejoice about something... Jesus says, rejoice that your names are inscribed or engraved in heaven. Jesus says, you want to rejoice about something? Don't necessarily rejoice in the, in the 
temporary things that, that God can do you through you. That, that's cool. But more importantly and, and eternally, rejoice that your names are engraved in heaven. Is your name there? I hope so. Do you know that your name is engraved or inscribed in heaven? Because there was a time in your life where you personally gave your life to God and accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? That's how we get our name engraved or inscribed in heaven. And when we know that, that should be a cause and foundation for rejoicing every day of our lives. And John said in 1 John 5, 13, these things were written that you and I might know that we have eternal life. Eternal life is such a great gift that God wants us to begin to enjoy here and now that we can know right now whether we have that relationship and whether our name is inscribed in heaven. So the Bible says in verse 4, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, called Bethlehem, because that's where Joseph's ancestors were from. This little town in Bethlehem. This town that the prophets talked about, specifically Micah, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, whenever through God... The prophet Micah rose up in Israel and said, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are tiny among all the little towns and cities in Judea, it will be from you that the Messiah is born. And it's really cool too because the name Bethlehem means house of bread. And later on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus stood up one day when there were throngs of people around them, him and he said... I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. Sort of fits that the bread of life would be born in the place Bethlehem, the house of bread. So the Bible goes on to say in verse 5, He went to be registered with Mary who was promised in marriage or betrothed in marriage to him, and who was expecting a child. Well, the phrase expecting a child, and and you gals who've had children and who have birthed children, you'll appreciate this way more than we men. It not only means to be pregnant, it means to be big with child. So obviously we know, based upon the story, That this journey that Joseph and Mary took from their home in Nazareth down to Bethlehem, which by the way was about 80 or 90 miles, which isn't anything to us today. But 2,000 years ago, an 80 or 90 mile journey on the back of a horse or donkey or mule when you're nine months pregnant, gals? Going over all those nice smooth roads, right? No. 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 And some may say, well, would she have even had to go? Could not Joseph have sort of gone as the representative of the family? 
you know, we're not sure, so I don't want to enter into any kind of speculation. It may have been required for Mary to be there, no matter what her condition. But even if she wasn't required to be there, again, we have to remember the dynamics of what was taking place at this time. This was a couple now through the revelation of God to them through angels who basically said, no, yes, she is pregnant, but it's not by any other human being. It's by the Holy Spirit. But we know based upon other things that the Bible and the Gospels teach us that most people never bought that. Most people thought somewhere along the line she was unfaithful to Joseph during their engagement. And therefore, one of the primary reasons why maybe Joseph took her from Nazareth is because when she was about ready to have this child, the last thing they wanted was to be around people whose tongues were wagging about what they thought was was really going on. In a sense, it would have been a way to get away from all the talk and just bring this child into the world on their own. However you and I look at it, the bottom line is this. God's will and God's way was that he was going to require this young couple to leave everyone that they knew and all that they knew up here in Nazareth and to make this 90-mile journey down to this place called Bethlehem and pretty much to be on their own. And oh, by the way, Mary, you're going to have to do this when you are big with child. Now, again, yeah, humanly, we look at this and we start thinking like, man, that's not what that's not how I would have chosen to do it. That's not the plan that I would have had. God, that your will and and get this, there were probably many people in their hometown of Nazareth who were saying things like, yeah, if they would have just done it, God's will. You know, if she wouldn't have been unfaithful and gotten pregnant outside of, you know, wedlock and stuff, things would have went much smoother for them. But because they're not in God's will, look at how hard things are for them. You think, well, we still we still think that way sometimes today, don't we? Or hear that from other Christians. Like when they see Christians struggling or going through pain or suffering, the immediate thing is, what did they do wrong to deserve going through something like this? They must not be walking with God or they must not be in God's will because if they were in God's will, then everything would be going great in their life, right? Well, then how do you reconcile the story of Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus? They were right smack dab in the middle of God's will for their life and yet... Was it easy? No. God was asking them to do a hard, arduous journey away from everyone and everything that they knew to go someplace strange. And oh, by the way, Mary, this is going to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually demanding on you and Joseph. And that's what makes when Joseph and Mary say, okay, God, if that's your will, yes. Even more amazing. Because again, think of what they would have missed. Think of what they would have missed. If they would have said to God what sometimes we say to God or other Christians say to God, whenever God starts to reveal his will and his way, and we go, well, God, 
No, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that plan you got for me. That's too hard. You're asking too much, God. I, I want to insist, God, on having it my way. Let, let's do it this way, God. W- would you be willing to do it this way? See, the thing about God is, God invites us to be a part of His will and His way in our life. But if we choose to go our own way and reject it, then we're going to miss out on what God has prepared for us. Because I believe this with all my heart, because you see this throughout the Word of God. If Joseph and Mary would have said, no, God, I pass, God would have found another young couple to work through. Because that's the way God is today. If he comes to us as Christians and we're not willing to follow God's will and God's way, if we insist on having things our way, then God will just move past us and get somebody else who's willing to do it God's way instead of our way. And that's one of the great truths we learn from the Christmas story. But yet, I also never want us to forget that though they said yes to God and they entered into God's will and God's way, it was far from easy. (laughs) And it certainly wouldn't have been the way we would have chosen to do it. It wouldn't have been the plan we would have come up with. You know, if it would have been up to us, just like we would be in our own lives, we'd make sure that we had all the support and help around us that we could and that nobody was moving, especially nine nine months pregnant. And we're going to make this as easy and comfortable as possible. Which is why many Christians miss out on the great things, the greater things, the things of greatest value and worth that God has planned for us. Because... We don't want that. God, we want comfort. God, I, I want the easy road. Don't ask me to do something hard or difficult or challenging. That doesn't, that doesn't interest me at all. But that was Joseph and Mary. And that was their trip to Bethlehem. In fact, the Bible says in verse 6, While they were there... Those words in the Greek language speak about a fixed position. In other words, they weren't going anywhere. They couldn't go anywhere. And God wanted it that way. Because he promised that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The time came for her to deliver her child. By the way, the, the word time here doesn't mean necessarily the time that she was going to have the baby. It more talks about the time of fulfillment that God had promised that, that while they were in Bethlehem, that's when the baby would be born. So that his prophecy through Micah, his word through Micah would be fulfilled and completed in every detail. That's the time. And it reminds us that, again, God's timing and God's time isn't always our time and timing. Yet are we willing to follow God's will and God's way? It's not the way we would do it. It's certainly not the timing. God, that's terrible timing. They're away from everybody that they know up in Nazareth. Can't you wait till they get back? No, because he had to be born in Bethlehem. But God, you're going to ask her to make this long journey, nine months. 
Yeah, because the time needs to be right so that my word is fulfilled. And the Bible says she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. Couple things. First of all, I think you'll begin to see what what is pretty clear here. And that is that Joseph and Mary, they were pretty much all alone during the actual birth of Christ while they were in Bethlehem. You know, they, they couldn't find a place in the lodge or the inn. And, and so they were relegated to this cave where the animals were kept and doesn't say anything about them having, you know, a midwife or any kind of help. In fact, it says Mary was the one that literally wrapped her baby with these strips of cloth. Which, by the way, was not unusual for a Jewish mother to wrap her baby in strips of cloth. Most Jewish mothers wrapped their baby in these strips of cloth. It was a way to keep the baby tight and snug. Why? Because if you've ever had a baby and you've ever been a parent, you know that these little babies can cry so hard that they can begin to convulse. And sometimes the only thing that comforts them is, is to, to get them tight and snug and to wrap something around them. Now I thought of that. I thought, you know what? That's a good reminder. Because sometimes I get these erroneous ideas even about Jesus that though I know the Bible teaches that he was not only 100% God, that he was 100% human, that somehow Jesus as a baby never cried. Jesus as a baby never had a dirty diaper or anything. I'm like, and then God's like, hello, Jeff. Yes, he was God, but he was 100% a human baby. And so Joseph and Mary had to deal with this little baby, even though he was Jesus, just like any other parent would have to do so. And that Jesus himself convulsed to the point, or, or was crying to the point where he was convulsing. And that's one of the reasons why Mary wrapped him so tightly and snugly with those strips of cloth. By the way, very interestingly too, Jews not only wrapped their newborn babies in these strips of cloth, but that's the way they buried people too. And this is almost a foreshadowing of the death of Jesus because if you remember, after they took his body down from the cross, what does the Bible say they, they did before they anointed him, his body with spices? They wrapped the body with strips of cloth. When one entered the world, they wrapped the body with strips of cloth. And when one exited the world, they wrapped the body with strips of cloth. Not unusual. But here's something very unusual. She laid him in a feeding trough for animals. Now that's not something that most Jewish mothers did with their newborn children. And this, again, though, gives us great insight into the will and ways of God. I mean, think about it. Who's being born here in Bethlehem? The King of glory. The eternal God of the universe. The second person of the Trinity. The one who's been always the one who created the universe and spoke it into existence. And you're telling me, God, that 
your son, the eternal God, the king of glory, the creator and sustainer of the universe, you're going to allow this couple to put him in a feeding trough? (gasps) And think about, again, from a parental perspective. Think about it if Joseph and Mary had been like, well, God... When this baby comes into the world, he's going to have to have the best of everything because he's God, right? So he's going to have to be born in a palace and he's going to have to be born with all the, you know, modern comforts, uh, comforts that they had 2,000 years ago, whatever they were. And, and he's going to have the best of everything, God, because he's God, right? And that's the way we as parents would want it. But that wasn't God's will. That wasn't God's way for his son to come into the world. And if anyone would have insisted on it being different, they would have missed what God had for them. Which is why the majority of people at the first Christmas miss Christmas. Because they insisted that if the Messiah was going to come into the world, this was the way he was going to come. He was going to come with fanfare and praise and he was going to be born in, you know, maybe the temple or some great edifice that was built by man and, 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 and people were going to announce it and, and it was going to be probably not in Bethlehem. It was going to be in Rome or in Athens or one of the great cities of the ancient world. But that wasn't God's will. That, that wasn't God's way. And so because most human beings, even those who claim to follow God, were looking over here, God was working over here. And because they weren't looking in the right place, they missed the birth of Christ. I think to myself, as I studied this, and really I thought began just a tiny bit to scratch the surface of what God wanted to even teach me personally. It was him reminding me, Jeff, you got to let go of your plans and your ways and thinking that, you know, you've got to just learn to find what I'm doing and, and look over here, what I'm doing instead of trying to figure me out. And because my plans aren't like your plans, Jeff. My ways aren't like your ways. I won't choose to do things the way you would choose to do them. And if you're going to be part of what I'm doing, then you've got to, you've got to do it my way. It's pretty humbling when you think about it. Because how often do we probably miss so many things that God has for us simply because we insist on going through life having things our way? I mean, in a sense, I think that's the kind of even culture we live in as far as Christianity goes. We live in that, and I know I'm dating myself going back 30 or 40 years to an old Burger King slogan. But we sort of live in that have it your way culture amongst even Christians or those who profess to be Christians. They'll choose things out of the Bible that they like and sort of just pretend like the things they don't like isn't really there. And then they'll go over here and they'll go, well, I like this about 
about following God and all that. So I'll, I'll hold on to that, but now nah, this over here now. And they sort of try to create their own sort of faith and their own Christianity and their own way of doing things. And God says all along to all of us, I've already given you my will and my way. It's not a question of you trying to fit. It's just a question of most of the time, will my will surrender and submit to God's will? And will I be willing to do things God's way so that I can be involved in what God is doing? Or will I insist on it being my way? I think what God was sharing with with me was this thought. The priorities of God's people aren't always God's priorities. And the other way around, the priorities of God aren't always the priorities of God's people, however you want to look at it. Because let's, again, let's, let's try to be honest and objective about this. The priority for me would have been, oh my goodness, God, if you're going to send this child into the world, then everything's got to be just right. And if it can't be just right, if it can't be just so-so, then, ugh. You want me to put him in a feeding trough? Yeah, because the priority of God wasn't that Jesus was supposed to have this, you know, the best of everything. Because part and parcel of the Christmas story is the great truth that though he was rich... He became poor for our sakes so that through his poverty we might be made rich. Because God's ways aren't our ways. I think what God was teaching me once again through this story of the birth of Jesus was that very truth. But sometimes the priorities of Jeff Royce aren't the priorities of God. And what I need to learn to do in my life is say, God, what what are your priorities? Not try to convince God to make my priorities his priorities, because that ain't going to work. I've done that before. That, That doesn't work. God doesn't buy into that. God will stay firm And God will keep working until the point where Jeff or any of us gets to the point where we go, okay, God, it's not about me or my priorities anymore, my ways or my will. It's about you. I'm I'm ready to follow. Here I am, God. Here I am. And that's the message of Christmas. And the other thing that we must be reminded of Is it even though at the time of Jesus' birth, it was pretty much just Joseph and Mary and the baby. That was it. There's something very powerful in that as well. Because we all might go, oh, it's too bad they didn't have their family there to support them and all these people around them to help them. But I've learned this a couple times in my life. And it's something that I need to continue to be reminded of. But it, it is so true. And that is this truth. 
When we realize in our lives that God is all that we have, we then realize God is all that we need. Joseph and Mary didn't need anyone else. God told them through the angel to both of them, I am with you. I will be with you throughout this. My Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And all you need is me. That's all you need. So often in our lives, even as Christians, we say we live by faith or we want to live by faith, but when it really comes down to it, if we're honest, again, throughout our lives, we'll build up all these support systems and we'll build up all these like safe things to like catch us, nets and stuff, because, well, if this happens and I've got this. And I think God wants to teach us, you don't need any safety net in your life but me. You don't need any other support in your life but me. If you've got me in your life, then you have got all that you need. And like I said, I've only been in a practically in that place a couple times in my life. And it wasn't a fun place to be and I would never choose to be there. Where I felt like I was all alone. There wasn't anybody else who understood. There wasn't anybody else around to help. It was just me and God. But it was at those times that God powerfully reminded me, do you really need anybody else but me, Jeff? I'm all you need. And there was something so powerful about that that as I left those times, I had a strength that that I didn't have before. Because it was almost like I realized at that point, Okay, life, bring on whatever you want to. If God and me got through this, then whatever life has, we'll get through that too. Because I learned, I, I don't need all these other support systems and all these safety nets. All I need is God. And that's all Joseph and Mary needed was God. What a glorious story. What an amazing way God chose to come into this world. It wouldn't have been the way we chose. It wouldn't have been the plan we came up with. But it was the best plan. It was the greatest plan. Because it was born in the mind and through the wisdom of God. And there's nothing better than that. God says to all of us through the story of Christmas. Will we learn about his will and his way? And will we once again learn that his plans are not like ours? His ways are not like ours. And if we're truly going to be a part of God's will and God's ways throughout our life, then we've got to let go of our plans and our ways. And we've got to learn to follow a God that we won't always understand. And trust him. Let's pray. God, I, I ask right now that you would help all of us to trust you more. God, maybe there are some even here that are going through times and seasons in their life that they would have never chosen this. 
This would not have been part of their plan for their life and part of the way that, Lord, they saw their life going. But God, for whatever reason, you've allowed this, you've brought this in. And God, you're, you're asking them through this time to learn to trust you even more. And to learn to get to a place where we realize, just like Joseph and Mary, all alone in that cave with that precious little baby, that God, if, if you're all that I've got, then that's all that I need. God, I pray like never before that the story of Christmas, the truth of Christmas, of how you worked and all of that, Lord, would just ring more true in our lives than ever before. And Lord, that we would see Christmas differently than we ever have before. That we would see the glory of God like never before put on display through the birth of Jesus Christ. God, use this story. Use these truths to transform us, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.